Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Seek Up, the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. In this episode, I share a very personal and touching conversation with Maya Gross and Shai Almag, two Israeli Ashtanga yoga practitioners. And I invite you to open your hearts and listen to their stories. Maya Gross is an eternal student walking the path of yoga for 23 years. Maya is the founder of Ashtanga Yoga Tel Aviv in Israel. Shai is Maya's spouse for 22 years, the father of their two children, a practitioner himself, and an engineer, entrepreneur, and author. I invite you to continue to do the work of yoga. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Thanks for joining. I'm here with Maya and Shai, who are fellow Ashtangis on the path. So hi, Maya. Hi, Shai. Thanks for coming on the, mm-hmm. the conversation here. Thank you for having us. So I'd like to start from the beginning of your yoga journey. How did you find Ashtanga yoga? How long have you been practicing? And what's, uh, what, what really motivated you to, to kind of dedicate your, your, your shala, your life, and a big portion of your life to the yoga path? Yeah, so I was exposed to Shivananda Yoga, actually, back in 2000 in New York. Mm. While I was uh, searching for something, I didn't know exactly what uh, was I w- was looking for, but I found yoga. And uh, I found uh, some connection, but I felt something was missing. and. Uh, a little while after, I found Ashtanga, and it felt like more uh, complete. Was it in New York that you also found Ashtanga? No, no. It was when I came back to Israel. I tried uh, Shivananda here in Israel just to to see if this is what I'm looking for. And I felt uh, even uh, the the something that was missing even more was uh, I felt it uh, greater here in Israel. And then I was still looking, and uh, then uh, I found Ashtanga here in Israel. And uh, very early, actually, I uh, signed a teacher training of three years in Ashtanga. And uh, then I went to Mysore 
um, while I was already teaching Ashtanga, actually. And I met Patabi Joyce. Um, and after this uh, visit in Mysore, the first time in India for me, uh, when I was very young, when I came back, uh, I felt like my life changed uh, tremendously. And uh, that's when I uh, started to practice, uh, like I, I started to see the practice as a sacred ritual and to wake up uh, in the morning very early. And um, I feel that uh, yoga has given me direction and grounding that uh, was previously missing in my life. And uh, especially I felt, I remember actually in New York after my first yoga lesson, I went, I, I was visiting the Shivananda ashram in New York. And then I was stepping out of the ashram. And it's like, I felt that the city is in a different pace. And it took me a few moments to understand that it's not the city, it's something within me. It's like the all the madness, the inner madness is gone. And <laughs> I, uh, I felt so peaceful and uh, it was uh, a very special uh, experience for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, from the second I uh, started to practice Ashtanga, I didn't stop mm-hmm. by today. It's like, uh, uh, 20 more than 20 years uh, mm-hmm. I started Ashtanga um, and uh, in the beginning I uh, opened uh, I had a small shala in my apartment um, about five years later uh, it grew and uh, I took a bigger space and uh, yeah I'm actually teaching uh, Mysore Ashtanga every day many years and he didn't miss many days in between and uh, actually it's uh, sometimes I look at it and I don't really understand how it happened it's just uh, (laughs) I wake up every morning I take my practice and then the continuous of the practice is going to the shala and uh, you know being with the students and uh, that's what I do. This is the life of so many fellow Ashtangis around the world. And I think that sentiment of, I'm not really sure how it happened, that our life changes and suddenly we're waking up in the middle of the night and doing this practice um, for ourselves and then sharing it with others. And it's not like when you were five years old, that was the dream of the life. You know, it's not like almost it was a plan. It's just that something, some seed inside of us started to grow the moment we stepped onto the mat. And the closer and closer we get to the Ashtanga source, the more that started to flourish and bloom. And then it just somehow naturally kind of takes over. And and, and I love that you've been to, you know, uh, meet Vitabi Joyce in Mysore and spend time with him there. I think it sounds like you were at the Gokulam Shala, the, the big marble space in, yes, and, yes. in Gokulam. And that was a, you know, now, now there's a new space. That's, it's a, yeah. Yeah, the new new shala, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm wondering how it's been for you to kind of be at the forefront of 
um, you know, bringing Ashtanga to Israel to be like, the way that you describe this is this kind of, you know, personal journey that led for you to share the yoga in your apartment and then naturally grew to a bigger space. And now you have a shala. So what's it like running a shala and what's it like being a part of, of kind of that burgeoning Ashtanga community kind of from the beginning? Very difficult. <laughs> very, very difficult. And uh, yeah, it's just that uh, I believe in Ashtanga as a healing method. Um, I see, when I say Ashtanga today, maybe back then it was a little different. I speak about all the limbs together. And starting with yama and niyama, very important, which many people forget. Um, and now it's very important for the yogis that uh, are, you know, watching the situation here in the Middle East. And they, 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 the first thing that uh, in the yogic pass is the this uh, morals. That uh, so when they look at uh, uh, information, uh, many people speak about the social media, and uh, I'm not really there actually. So yogis should ask themselves if if uh, they really know, they understand that this is true, what they see, what they hear, and uh, if you if you don't have if you don't really know what's going on, so you should, uh, it's better to stay silent or to avoid taking sides or to say, just be, feel sorry for all the people who are suffering. And um, because taking sides, the, the action of taking a side, for me, even for me, it's difficult to take a side here where I live. So for people that is not connected in any way to the situation to take side easily is, uh, is sometimes bring more uh, himsa, more mm -hmm. uh, violence and more heartbreak and uh, negativity. So and, and ha have you experienced something like that within the Ashtanga community? Where, where there are individuals who maybe don't have a connection that have taken, that you've seen taken aside, or have you, do you know anybody in the community that has experienced, you know, a little bit of hesitation around kind of being authentically themselves while people take these really strong divisive sides? So I, from when everything started, I received a, a warm and supporting messages from all around the world for my teachers uh, in uh, India and other places and from students. Some of them has been in my shala like uh, 10 years ago, five years ago, and very warm and uh, supporting messages. But I heard from my students that uh, they, they uh, shared with me some uh, stories from the social media and uh, how the people that take part there, so they, uh, yeah, it, they uh, has been through unpleasant uh, uh, conversations, and uh, they felt like uh, one woman from uh, I think she's American. 
she wrote to me that she's been in Edmeshala practicing like five years ago and she enjoyed so much. And uh, she, she said that uh, she's, uh, she feels uh, like abandoned in her yoga community as uh, all of the teachers that she used to really respect, they took uh, aside. And uh, she, fe- she feels like uh, she, she, she lost her community. Mm. And uh, it's very sad that, uh, and I heard, I heard the, these stories a few times from my students. Um, which made me very sad because uh, I'm sure that these uh, teachers, most of them are not really familiar with the truth, with what's really happening here. And uh, what we has been through as uh, um, each of us personally and as a collective, as a country we've been through a nightmare really it's uh shy will speak about it i really like how you how you said um even just casually that it's difficult for you to take a side and 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 to say that from the position that you're in i think is 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 um immensely compassionate and requires just the the ability to sit with 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 uh you know with, with conflict with opposing points of view and to grow the heart very very big i think it is quite easy when sitting with limited information especially two-dimensional information that we consume on social media to have a knee-jerk reaction where we jump on a bandwagon and it requires a different depth to ask those questions which you which you asked all the yogis to dive into the questions of satya the question of truthfulness to really investigate so I'm, I'm wondering if we could take a, a little bit of a turn there and, and really kind of look at well, what is the situation that's happening that people might not be getting um, from the, you know, the two dimensional view of how things are portrayed on social media. So, you know, we're 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 there's 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 this this um, devastating conflict with many suffering human beings and um like how how is it that people can dive in? I mean, by having conversations like we're having right now, and and I'm wondering again if you would share some of that, uh, to, so that people can have another and deeper um, and more nuanced, perhaps, perspective on everything that's unfolding. So I should say that. Okay. Yeah, we'll speak about my okay. I, later. I'm more used to talk about politics and in English, so the vocabulary there is a bit different. So. I think there is a complete uh, misunderstanding of the conflict in terms of two sides. I think it's a big oversimplification of the conflict. Uh, I think of us as pro-Palestinians. We want a Palestinian state. And you know what? That's not an outlier uh, outlier uh, opinion in Israel. That's actually a mainstream opinion and, and viewpoint. And Israelis, at least prior to October 7th, were in favor of a Palestinian state uh, with stipulations, obviously. there's It's a very wide gradient. But ultimately, Israelis are 
for that. And I'd go even further and say that Israel has in the past given more territories than pretty much any other country. It gave half its size, essentially a, a, a territory the size of the entire state of Israel back to, back to Egypt. So it has a history of giving territories to Egypt, to Jordan, and also the Oslo Accord, which it signed with the Palestinians in order to essentially lead for peace and also an attempt later to actually uh, sign for a Palestinian state. So Israelis are for that. The Hamas in the 90s started um, blowing up buses in Tel Aviv actually down the street from where we used to live, like a few buses, you know, imagine the people riding the bus, children, women, uh, poor, just blown up because of the explosion of the suicide bombers inside the bus. And that was obviously very shocking. And it essentially destroyed the peace accord between uh, Israel and the PLO. And Benjamin Netanyahu used those atrocities committed by the Hamas to rise to power. And he pulled the entire country to the right. And with the excuse of, look, we tried the whole peace thing, they didn't want it. They rejected it. And he blamed the PLO instead of the people that actually did it, the Hamas. And essentially, he created a situation where... Uh, there's two forces that are symbiotic to one another, the Hamas on the Palestinian side and he on the Israeli side, and they feed each other. The Hamas does uh, something atrocious and horrible, and he uses that to say he's the only one that's strong enough against the Hamas and can take them down. And both sides moved to the right, and essentially he even paid them money and helped them because he knew, and he actually made that as a statement, because he knew that would prevent the Palestinians from ever reaching a Palestinian state. So these two forces essentially uh, created the situation that we're in. The Hamas is an attack against um, moderation, against being a moderate, against being a liberal, against uh, any form of peace. They don't believe in the idea of uh, peace with Israel. Their slogan, from the sea to the river, those are the borders of Israel. It means essentially kill all the Jews. That's, that's their slogan. And that's what they believe in. They don't believe that peace should exist. And there's it's a jihad, it's a holy war. They are... Um, a murderous organization, but they're not stupid. They used uh, negotiations and pretended and even won an election to some degree on the basis of pretending that they're a different Hamas. They're nice now. They're interested in peace. But as we saw, they got billions in aid money, which they use to buy weapons. They have a lot of weapons and they stockpiled it for this exact uh, day to, to do the massacre of October 7th. So I think the two sides, the Palestinians and the Israelis, by a huge margin, both of us, 
want a peaceful resolution of the two-state solution. The problem is that uh, these forces that feed each other keep pulling us away from that situation. And the only solution is to get rid of both of them. You can't get rid only of Netanyahu because the Hamas will just find a new one and vice versa. They both need to go away. Luckily, in Israel, uh, people finally see Netanyahu for who he is, and thanks to the failure in October 7th. But um, the Hamas won't go away as easily as he might in, uh, in an election. Mm-hmm. So there is a problem there. But the problem is actually bigger and maps a bit more cleanly because uh, uh, to the situation of the... Uh, of uh, good versus evil or autocratic versus democracies in the West. Because the Hamas didn't accidentally choose October 7th right now for the attack. It did that because Iran uh, activated it. And it did that because Israel and the Saudis were inching uh, forward towards a peace uh, accord. And that would be an earthquake for the entire region. It would hurt Iran, and by proxy, it would hurt Russia. And that would hurt China, because China wants to take Taiwan. So essentially, those autocracies who are interested in taking over democracies would uh, be hurt by the strengthening of the West and Western ideals that would be enabled by a peace accord between Israel and Saudi Arabia, because that would open a, um, the ability to move by rail between Europe and uh, the Middle East. And mm-hmm. that would change global economy in an mm-hmm. unprecedented way. And that would weaken Iran, it would weaken Russia by uh, the same effect. And uh, yeah, and uh, Biden, uh, I want to pay a compliment, he understood that from day one. And his show of force was here to, to show the, the risk that uh, we might all face from an escalation here into a potential world war uh, if if this goes further. But he understands that this has implications on Ukraine and on everything. And just to show uh, a tiny sample of why that is the case, during uh, a a few weeks back, uh, they caught a couple of Russians drawing uh, Stars of David on um, houses in France, which sounds totally random until you start reading into what's actually going on. Russians are trying to promote uh, the perception of anti-Semitism to create a sense in Israelis of uh, panic, which would make Israel attack more and create essentially more of a conflict. They want to uh, raise more... um, uh, make the conflict more severe. And they're using that, they're using their power on social media, 
a lot of which is bots and people essentially promoting things that are aren't proven, fake information, etc. And it's essentially a proxy war. And I know proxy wars, wars suck. You know, America fought quite a few of them, and they were mostly terrible. But in this case, it's a situation similar to Al-Qaeda uh, being in New Jersey and controlling New Jersey. That's sort of the situation that we're at. And, uh, and it's backed by Iran, who is also backing uh, people in the north, uh, Hezbollah, who is firing also missiles from there, and the Houthis from Yemen, who are real, real terrible people who did some atrocious things to their own people. So, um, so, so I, the, th- I think that it's very interesting for people to zoom out and really try to understand the, 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 the complexities of the geopolitical situation that are currently at place, the complexities of the history of the geopolitical situation as well. And there are many resources that people can go online and read about the long history of, of, of Israel and the long history of the Middle East dating back thousands of years. Um, because I feel what, what what's happening very much in the in, in, in the insular community of yoga, spiritually oriented activism, is that there's a hyper focus on what images are seen on social media. And rather than zooming out and saying, wait a minute, like what 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 contextually is, is happening here? Um, and at the same time, you know, the loss of every life is a tragedy. Uh, and both of these can be true, true considerations at the same time, rather than devolving into some of the things that, that you do see people picking up as a rallying cry. You know, you mentioned this phrase that people are posting, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which essentially annihilates the state of Israel and every single Jewish person that lives within that state right now uh, people are perhaps not understanding what they're actually saying or maybe they are i don't i'm not sure you know i can't really be in their mind and, and, and see that but it seems that, that there's this two-dimensional thing you also mentioned you know president biden and the stance that he took especially in regards to the geopolitical implications and he's been reduced to i'm not sure if you're aware of this he's been reduced to being called a very particular name um, and it just gets reduced to these kind of almost two-dimensional, you know, this is good, this is bad, do this or you are bad, say this or you are bad. And, 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 I, and, and I think that it's, what you're saying is it's not that simple. There are people, um, we are the, the real human beings that are not politicians who are impacted by all of the, the situation that's unfolding. And then there are politicians who are on both sides of this particular issue that are kind of propping themselves up through the suffering of all. And there are larger geopolitical implications, which could be truly devastating if they, you know, um, escalate. So, you know, where, where do, where, how do yogis specifically, um, kind of navigate these internal conflicts. You know, we mentioned yamas and niyamas. How do how do yogis navigate this? You know, is there is there space in the yoga practice to be able to contemplate these sorts of things? Um, where where is action warranted? Um, and you know, I mean, I think another uh, uh, something very very real is that I imagine that there are 
many individuals within Israel that are practitioners who either are serving themselves or have a family member that is serving. And that that must be very like a schism to sit with as well. Um, and living in a conflict zone, it creates a constant sense of a harrowing uh, kind of interaction with the, with the, with you know daily threats of, of of life. So I'm wondering if you could give any kind of guidance to the yoga community, whether they're directly impacted um, or they're um, observing from the outside, how to navigate all these these complexities. Okay, I would like to start with the uh, Krishna and Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, from my understanding, uh, what Israel does now in Gaza is actually protecting the Palestinians from uh, Hamas, actually, and uh, the violence, uh, violent acts of the uh, the. The army of the yeah the army. What I what I'm trying to say is that sometimes you need to to act in, in uh, himsa in order to uh, bring justice, and that's what happened in the Bhagavad Gita. But- At the end, uh, Krishna told Arjuna that if he will. Uh, not uh, act then the yeah i think i think you're referring to the part in in the 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 pain will be greater yeah and And there's this moment there's this moment where krishna says to arjuna you know therefore fight and i think that's what you're referring to therefore fight put your doubts aside and therefore fight and 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 a very i think it's very very useful to bring up the gita because this is uh, one of the key texts that Patabi Joyce recommended yoga practitioners to to look at, you know, therefore fight is part of the the, the, the teaching. And I think that um, what's interesting is that you know um, the good fight. What is the what do, what qualifies as the good fight? And the interesting thing about Arjuna is that he really doesn't want to fight. And then when he goes in, the thing that is 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 very astounding is that. He doesn't hate his enemy. And that's, I think, so difficult. I, I, I haven't ever been in a war um, that, that would have cost me my physical life, but I've definitely been in social media wars before. And I know how easy it is to hate the aggressor, even if they're just saying things like you look funny or whatnot. It's just really easy to hate. So I think that that's um, for yogis, maybe maybe consulting the Gita and, and that fine line to walk of when you act. If there's hate in your heart, you're no longer fighting the good fight. You know, you're no longer Arjuna on the path as a yogi. We're on a, a different trajectory. Yeah, act without revenge, without this energy of revenge, and uh, yeah, and keep in mind the uh, yamas and niyamas and uh, your menia. Uh, a motive. Your mm-hmm. motives is very mm-hmm. important. What are your motives? So mm-hmm. uh, about that. Uh, one of the things that I, when I hear people talk about uh, ceasefire and stopping, that's, uh, as a liberal, it's something that obviously you always want to stop uh, and not fight and not um, engage in violence. Obviously, that's core to, to us as liberals. 
but um, the question is what would happen next? And we've been through that movie several times with Hamas, and it's a cycle of attack, return, attack, return. And there, um, I'd like to read something that I printed out from uh, Ghazi Hamad, who's an official from Hamas. He said in an interview on October 24th that Israel is a country that has no place on our land. We must remove that country. We are not ashamed to say that with full force. We must teach Israel a lesson and we will do this again and again. He's essentially saying we'll do October 7th again and again. So if Israel does a ceasefire, they will buy more weapons as they always have in the past, uh, prepare their troops and do it again. And then Israel will attack again. And the cycle will continue and more people will die if Israel will stop than if Israel continues. So um, I think the only solution that the Hamas has left to Israel for, for the Palestinian people is to actually finish this because there's only two options. Israel stops existing or the Hamas stops fighting. And I don't think that's much of an option we mm-hmm. that, that we can really discuss. So it's, I think, the only way to... to and uh, I'm also not sure people are really aware of what happened in October 7th. It's like uh, yeah. I, I didn't see or hear of any horror movie like that. In Hollywood, what Hamas did, and I actually I was in uh, contact with one of my students who lives in the kibbutz. Lived actually now she doesn't have a home, and I was in contact with her, and it was very very difficult because she was there with her four uh, girls, young girls, and uh, husband, and all of a sudden, like thousands of terrorists crossed the border. And like at 6.30, 7 a.m., people were sleeping in their beds and they started to, you know, to rape and kill to rape and, and kill and uh, rape children. and kill together like, burn uh, and burn people alive in their homes. And uh, the, most of the people didn't have any weapon. They were not. Uh, and uh, it was really, really painful. That's why the, like, the, the whole country of Israel is still traumatized. Everyone this, uh, knows someone who was there. Everyone knows. Someone that died, it's someone that, that kidnapped. Uh, these students, her uh, father and uncle are, are hostages in Gaza. By now, they're still there. And uh, we still have babies in Gaza for 55, 50, I don't know how many days, too many days. And uh, they tortured the kids that they kidnapped. It's, they it's, tortured uh, the kids. Terrible. They did things that, you know, that uh, are not, people say are not human, but they yeah. are human. Inhuman. Yeah. Inhuman. Yes. Yeah. And how does this, and, and for the two of you to live with this, how does that feel? Well, so you think about uh, things like the Holocaust and how people were, uh, when I was 17, uh, it was just before the Oslo Accord was signed. 
I was very active in Peace Now, uh, an organization for peace between Israelis and Palestinians. And they sent me and uh, a bunch of us and Palestinian youths to a sort of peace camp in Austria, where we talked together and tried to reach uh, understanding between between us to sort of show the adults, look, kids can make peace, so you too can make peace, that sort of thing. Sort of a a show uh, effort. And... uh, During that trip, uh, they took us to a concentration camp together. And, you know, we walked through that there with the Palestinians. And and I think we connected more because up until then, they didn't think we understood their suffering. And we do. It's not the same. They they understood that the Jews carried the sort of weight on them of that national trauma. And they, too, carry a weight. It's... I don't know if it's different, if it's, it's a different type of weight, but but we understand each other, I think, as a people. And as people, we can connect on many levels. We're not very different from one another. And, um, and I want to also, uh, for a second, go back to the discussion about uh, the kibbutz where her, her student lived. Uh, that place is... Uh, an amazing place. Half of the population is now dead. Uh, there was a family there. They used to fly kites uh, during... that. Uh, they had an event once a year to fly kites with uh, Palestinian children. Essentially, they'd go to the fence, families, and fly kites, and uh, Palestinian companies would... Uh, uh, families would come from the other side, and they'd fly kites together to show that, you know, it's th- those simple things that symbolize peace can can still work even through the fence, that we're all the same, essentially. And people from this kibbutz used to drive... uh, That entire family, by the way, dead, all of them. And uh, you were saying about... uh, Yeah, people from this kibbutz, Niroz, used to drive sick people, uh, cancer patients to hospitals in Israel. Palestinians used to drive them, they used to take them and... Like amazing people, that, yeah, uh, peace-loving and, people. And, and what is unbelievable and really touched my heart that these people, after uh, Hamas uh, killed their families, kidnapped their families, raped their families, they still are talking about peace. They still, they are still, they didn't lose it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this actually. This is one of the only things today that uh, gives me hope. Eyal Waldman um, is another example. He, he's a big high-tech uh, entrepreneur here, built a Melanox, which was sold, I don't remember to who. Uh, at the moment, uh, he actually built a development center in Gaza. You know, lots of companies. I have customers in Gaza too. And uh, I know people in Gaza. They're good people, mostly. And one of the things, collaboration between people, both as financially and and knowing each other, that's hugely important. And his daughter was in that party that where they just came and started shooting everyone, that Eyal Waldman's daughter. And she was murdered in that party with her fiancé. They were both killed. And uh, shortly after that, he still spoke in favor 
of peace and in moderation in the response towards uh, so, so the Palestinian civilians won't get hurt. So mm-hmm. to separate between the Hamas, who are the true villain here, and the Palestinian people. And uh, there are still many voices like that, and I hope they're stronger. Uh, unfortunately, we have a pretty terrible um, government, but we have a good army. And there's an investigator from Hagha that is investigating everything that's happening on both sides. He said that what the Hamas did is probably one of the worst war crimes he's ever investigated, he's ever seen. Uh, I hope that if uh, that he looks at everything well, and because the Israeli army is subject to uh, persecution, uh, prosecution, if it if it does do things that are illegal, and it's important, but it's also crucial for the Palestinian people that we free them from Hamas. And I know Israel is an imperfect vessel to to do that because right now, specifically Benjamin Netanyahu, as I said, terrible person. But uh, sometimes uh, these sorts of situations can breed uh, hope. And, you know, if, if I, my one part that is truly, uh, uh, my one bit of hopefulness about this is that um, in the day after this, if we don't have Hamas and we don't have Netanyahu, there's an opening for peace that wasn't there in the 90s when we tried it the last time around. And and I, the only way I see through that is if the Hamas is actually out of Gaza. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it will just keep that loop going again. And, uh, and then it's... Do you think that's a realistic uh, achievement? Or do you think that, the, the, that this is kind of very, very difficult to root out this, um, uh, you know, the, the, this kind of enemy, uh, especially when it's so intermingled with the civilian population. You know, this is, um, it's, it is, it, it is, I think, very important to distinguish between the Palestinian people and the members of Hamas, because the, the numbers of the people that have been killed from, um, you know, from, uh, from, from within from within Gaza, there's just the total number. There's not a differentiation between, you know, um, these are Hamas fighters that have been killed. These are the civilians that were, were you know. I have uh, something to say here. He would mm-hmm. say <laughs> about uh, many children. So, yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know if it's an achievable uh, goal. I hope it is. That That's generally my hope, you know, uh, ISIS was defeated to some degree, but there's still a bit of it left. I'm sure Hamas, is an, as an idea, will take forever. Look at uh, Northern Ireland, for instance. That's the closest th- thing I can think of in history. And it wasn't nearly as violent as the Hamas is or extremist as the Hamas is. So uh, I, I don't know if, if it's truly possible. I hope, you know, that that's the only thing I can 
I can uh, provide there. But I think a lot, and we see that starting to happen, a lot of Palestinians are starting to see Hamas for what it is. Uh, just today, there was uh, an interview in uh, Al Jazeera where they stopped a guy on the street to talk to him about uh, the damage that was done and wanted him to provide a specific narrative. And he immediately started accusing Hamas, Turkey, and uh, Qatar for the what's happening to them, not Israel, because he understood that these, uh, these are the sides that are essentially growing the flames and emboldening the Hamas to keep doing what it is doing. And uh, I hope there will be some sort of uh, sea change within them. Now, a lot of uh, the, the thing that Maya wanted me to talk about is that a lot of the death that is happening there is very unclear. As you said, we don't know uh, when they say numbers, how many of them are combatants because they use children, soldiers, and they use uh, women suicide bombers and things like that. Uh, but um, they one use, thing we they use know, children at a very young age, you know, to people that don't understand. It seems like they're children. They're young. Yeah. They're like 12, 10, 14. Yeah. But there are many terrorists. But this another thing that, that happens there a lot in uh, Israeli bombings are very accurate. Uh, I've seen aerial photos and you see a building completely demolished and next to it a building standing unscathed. And that's how modern armament works. Uh, and the logic behind that is that a lot of times uh, the you, you see labs where they build missiles in uh, civilian homes. And also they use civilian homes for snipers against uh, tanks and things like that. But um, a while back, when the war just started, they blamed Israel for blowing up a hospital. And it turned out it was one of their uh, rockets that just fell back and blew up the hospital and killed people. Now, the thing is, it turns out that back then they had about 800 misfires like that. And uh, we didn't hear about most of them because, you know, they don't announce their misfires. But there's probably a lot more by now because they fire a lot of missiles uh, or a lot of rockets. Sorry. And they are very badly constructed, these rockets. So when they take off, they sometimes just fall back down. And at that point, they also have all the fuel in them. So they are far more deadly. And because they're inaccurate and they hide them exactly next to schools, next to uh, hospitals, United next to all of Nations, these things. Uh, yeah. I have actually, just today, they found boxes in the United Nations offices of rockets just sitting there. And, you know, when they have them all over the place and they blow up, they kill civilians. And their immediate reaction is, oh, Israel is at fault because we fired at them and it fell back down. So... Um, it's, as you said, a very, very problematic enemy to fight, an enemy that is careless with the lives of its own people who they killed a lot of Muslims on October 7th, which is something people sort of ignore. You know, lots of Bedouin uh, who are Muslim were just executed point blank 
when they knew they were Muslim, they kidnapped Bedouin uh, people into Gaza as well and tortured them, knowing full well that they're not, obviously Bedouin aren't Palestinians, but they aren't Jews either. They are uh, pretty terrible people. And as you said, very deeply embedded in the innocent population. But it gets a bit worse um, because their education system, the education system was controlled by them. And you see videos of young children, as young as our kids, talking about running over Jews with uh, cars and becoming a shaheed, uh, a martyr for, for the cause. And it's heartbreaking that kids are exposed to that sort of mentality at that age <clears throat> and uh, taught to hate at, at this stage. And uh, I, I don't have a good solution for that. I, I really don't. Uh, I hope that from the ashes, uh, there will be a change, like, like we saw in uh, Germany and Japan, who committed horrible, atrocious war crimes and were still able to change. And I have faith that uh, the Palestinians are, aren't uh, different from these people and can uh, rise from that, hopefully. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a lot to hope for in the midst of, of, of a very difficult situation um, without knowing how we'll get there. When many different narratives are at play and, you know, people have opinions that become truth and get um, indoctrinated, whether from a young age, whether from social media, whether from, you know, any various sources that I think it is quite bold to uh, hold on to the hope of peace. And, you know, to ask ourselves each day, what can I do to work towards that? Whether that is um, recognizing where we've jumped on a bandwagon of division, whether whether that's recognizing where our own cognitive biases may be, maybe recognizing what we have done in the past to kind of, you know, fuel the flames of, of, of our own internal wars. I, I, I was... Um, listening to a, um, a spiritual teacher and she was talking about how all of like all war and all division essentially comes from within so that we, we can't necessarily create peace in the world while we remain in internal conflict. And as long as internal conflict is present, as long as we're still at war in some ways with ourselves, rejecting some part of ourselves, then we'll continue to make, you know, war in the outside world. And so sometimes when I think about, you know, um, a desire for peace. I also hear a desire for kind of, you know, human, like for liberation, for, for the, for the goal of yoga, which is, you know, as we become more enlightened as a species, as, and as individuals, we'll make better decisions. We won't get it perfect, but this is why we practice. So I think that for maybe, maybe as one final note for, for the yoga practitioners who are hearing all of this and maybe feeling overwhelmed, maybe there are some people who have posted, you know, <laughs> from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And some people who are just completely overwhelmed and don't understand some people that maybe have uh, started to hate their enemies out there, whether in this conflict or maybe in another conflict that that's unfolding in the world. And there are actually, if we look at the amount of conflicts that there are in the world and people suffering and, you know, innocent lives being lost. It's actually quite astounding and um, entirely overwhelming. What can, what, 
what, what can you say for yogis that are, you know, that are sitting with this, yourselves included, perhaps even sharing your own process of how you work to um, kind of heal the wounds of internal division when, 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 you know, the desire for retaliation comes up, which is totally human and normal and how maybe the practice helps you ameliorate some of that and what, um, what last notes you might offer for, for people listening from the outside. So uh, for me, what helps me is my, uh, before my yoga practice is my uh, 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 voluntary work. Uh, Voluntary work. Uh, I do. Right now I try my best to support the families of the hostages. Um, I go almost every day. I go to sit with them, to hug them, to give them some... uh, a little yoga, a little breathing, grounding. And uh, I said to them many times that uh, uh, I thank them because uh, every, every time I do it, every meeting with them give me, gives me, strengthen me, actually. Um, and in my personal pra- practice, uh, I slowed down a lot. Uh, in my asana practice, uh, I find myself uh, sit more and uh, use prayer uh, more than, you know, I never used to pray so much. Also, uh, some uh, uh, yogic, yogic uh, traditional prayers that uh, I'm familiar with and other pr- pr- uh, prayers that I uh just that comes out from my heart, uh, especially for the all the people who are suffering now on both sides, all the innocent people, the hostages, of course, the babies, um, the people that uh, experienced uh, loss and uh, some of them cannot, they didn't have time to grieve because they need to take care of uh, releasing their uh, kidnapped uh, family it's it's crazy and um of course reading the scriptures reading the text listen to wise words like you said to podcasts uh, i can say that uh, tara brack really helps helps me supports me in my path le- lately um to keep the heart open because the heart wants to contract many times in this when you hear about the horrors and it doesn't stop actually every day something happens every day a person dies here and there and um so yeah, in my practice, uh, and I try more to work or not to do my inner work with the yamas and niyamas, which is the I think is the most important part. The, uh, and I do it uh, through my meditation practice. I see the meditation practice as a kind of a lab where I uh, process my emotions process my thoughts my uh, intense emotions sometimes my grief my pain and 
Once I, I sent an email to my students and I asked them to sit, to keep, uh, to, to try to sit for a long period every day and to just observe everything that comes up. And, uh, and many people, many students share that they, they cry, they have an emotional uh, um, uh, they get emotional during the meditation and uh, and I, I keep telling them not to do not leave the meditation until you feel like uh, that you balance, that you relax, mm-hmm. that you get back your peace. Mm-hmm. This is the the most important part I think and the meditation practice is the is the hardest and uh, I find myself lying down in Shavasana for a uh, longer periods if I can, even uh, if I, sometimes I do less asanas, less like intense asanas and just let myself sit and pray and just relax. And, uh, you know, to like, I want to protect this inner Shanti because otherwise, as you said, as Thich said, peace in oneself, peace in the world. So I feel uh, yogis should uh, uh, keep doing their inner inner uh, work, inner practice, and work with the yamas and niyamas. Uh, I find myself also uh, take the yamas and niyamas as a prayer, as a mantra. For example, I bring my hands into Anjali Mudra, and then I start uh, ahimsa, ahimsa in my thoughts, ahimsa in my speech, ahimsa in my actions, and so on. And with hands on my heart, I try to feel honest with myself, and that's what I do. That's what I share. And uh, I recommend to people that use the social media very often to go there when they're really balanced and in Shanti, especially now, and to try to avoid bringing more um, separation, more hate, more, you know, strife. And because sometimes they think they are in the in the side that is suffering in the on the weak side. Like everyone wants to be on the weak side, right? They want to protect the weak. But uh, when you don't really understand, when you don't really understand what's going on, then you you add more suffering and more violent and more. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know. Some of my students got really hurt from some uh, conversations at the social media. One student told me, wow, I was so, uh, I was uh, erachti. Thought so highly. Thought so highly about, uh, so uh, appreciating this teacher. And I wanted to, I was, I had a plan to sign up her uh, or his, I don't remember. 
uh, workshop in Purple Valley, and now no, I I I, I uh, unfollowed them, and uh, I don't want to hear about them anymore. And you know, so these people who take sides easily at the end, they also uh, hurt themselves, you know, because I think both the Palestinians and the Jews have a big thing in common, which is the persecution complex. It's very basically mm-hmm. on both of us. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very easy to trigger it. In mm-hmm. both. And you see it when you talk to both sides. Even the mere thought of supporting uh, the other side suddenly causes all alarm bells to ring. So I suggest treading lightly, as Maya said. So mm-hmm. it's important. Uh, but if you're going to do a demonstration, then you should do it for peace, not for one side. Hold both flags and say we want a two-state solution because that's what most of us want. And that doesn't mean the Palestinian flag. It means both. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the moment you do that uh, and show people that uh, you believe in uh in being moderate, in uh, loving one another and in a two-state solution, I think people will react to it uh, in far more than uh, the knee-jerk reaction than, that they have towards uh, a lot of the current demonstrations that do more damage than good to the cause that we actually want. Because when Israelis see people uh, having a pro-Palestinian uh, uh, rallies, even if those are relatively peaceful, they automatically jump to the everyone is against us. No mm-hmm. one's even talking about the kidnapped people. Look what they did to the, us just now, and they're still doing demonstrations for them. So it's, and I, I get the need to support them, and I'm 100% with them, but that isn't helping. Uh, them or us or peace, the goal that we actually do want. Mm. It's so much more nuanced than than, than this sort of, you know, good, bad, immediately, you know, this image, you know, objectively, again, images of any death, any loss, any harm, objectively, any being subjected is objectively horrible. This, I think, is, 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 is very difficult to sit with. And then when that gets sort of, you know, weaponized into hating the other side and becoming a, a source of, as, as, as you said, this persecution complex, which easily gets triggered. I think that's that's maybe a really important takeaway for, for everyone to sit with is, are we feeding a persecution complex? Do we ourselves have one? And are we, are we jumping on a bandwagon of, you know, being persecuted or fighting against the persecutor? There, there is um, a, a, a sort of a, a classic triangle that, that, that's, that I think describes that, that victim hero perpetrator triangle where we're constantly just trading roles. And when we're, whenever we're operating within that, the peace is not possible. So if our actions, you know, perpetuate that, then we'll still be kind of, you know, that, that, that classic, that classic quote from Albert Einstein, that the solution can't be found from the level of thinking that created the problem. And then again, we just go, you know, we can leave everyone with going back to their practice and doing that hard work of personal, you know, evolution and investigation, what that means for each of us, we have to define. But um, 
I think it was given everyone some good food for thought to add more depth into uh, a, 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 into their own personal investigation to to stay abreast of the 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 complexities that are at play, and hopefully to inspire people's personal practice to come off of their mats and maybe into their lives. So thank you so much for sharing so honestly, so bravely, and in, in, in amidst um, your own suffering um, and your own grief during this time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much, Kino. Thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.